This morning's message is entitled, The Reasons for the Parables. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. If you have a Bible, you might want to read along with me. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they don't understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear, and didn't hear it. The chapter began with the setting of the parables. And now Jesus turns our attention towards the reason for the parables. In the parable of the soils and sower, Jesus revealed that it was the condition of the human heart that it made it necessary in part to speak in parables. Remember what a parable is. It's it's a story about something familiar in order to explain something unfamiliar. It is an earthly story that's meant to reveal a heavenly truth. So Jesus gives the human reason. The Lord Jesus will quote Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 to remind the disciples that the people had grown dull, Hard, rebellious, blind. By speaking in parables, Jesus would excite the curiosity of those who truly cared about the truth and wanted to know the truth and embrace the truth. But Jesus was also hiding the truth from the rebellious. And this provides us with an insight. The parables reveal the truth to those who want to know it and conceal the truth from those who for whatever reasons have their own agenda. And so, again, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, for those of you who are with me, you'll remember earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed them to 
babes, unquote. Even so, he says, for so it seemed good in your sight. Later, Jesus will also include a divine reason in verses 34 and 35 for the giving of the parables. Remember that a mystery in the Bible is something that was previously concealed and is now revealed by God's revelation and by God's Holy Spirit or by God's servant. A truth hidden in the past but now revealed. It's typically something not found in the Old Testament except by way of type or symbol, or shadow. These types, symbols, and shadows are spoken of in Ephesians chapter 3 and again in the book of Hebrews. The la in our last study, by way of introduction, I gave four reasons why Jesus gave parables to teach. We're going to expand those and, and think about those for just a moment. Number one, the condition of the heart determines its receptivity to the truth. Number two, those who receive truth act upon it. The ones who receive the truth will get more truth. Number three, those who reject the truth will lose what little they possess. And number four, we respond to the truth. So again, let's look at the first reason. The believer receives spiritual understanding. In verse 10, Jesus, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Remember what the disciples are concerned about. The disciples are concerned that the people will hear the message and understand the message and embrace the message. So they're asking a question that probably you've asked. Jesus, why would you use veiled language? Explain to us why you're doing what you're doing. The reason why this all becomes very important if you happen to be a Bible teacher like myself or if you are a, a, a person who ministers to other people, whether in the women's ministry or student ministries or whatever form or function your ministry might take, it's very, very important, obviously, that we ask ourselves the question, how is the teaching being received? Are people understanding what you're saying or what I'm saying? Are people listening? Do they understand? Are people listening, understanding, growing? You see, there's nothing, nothing, nothing more frustrating for me than when people come up to me after the service and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or they say, whatever it is that you said, it just went right over my head. I really want you to understand what the Bible is saying. The Lord Jesus provides hope and insight for every Bible teacher. Remember, the problem wasn't the sower, although in my case, that might be a problem. You see, Jesus was the one telling the truth. If you're telling the truth, 
or I'm telling the truth, then the problem isn't typically with me or with the truth. Remember, the problem in the, in, in the parable of the seed and the sower wasn't the sower and it wasn't the seed, it was the soil. The same preaching that turns off the unbelieving crowds turns on the honest seeker and the honest searcher. Paul will later write in the New Testament, he'll say, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? And that's the challenge. To make sure that the only thing I'm offending in is the truth. And so Jesus reminds us that the person who's interested in getting to the truth, who wants access to the truth, who wants to embrace the truth, will, will receive it. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, don't we? How interested are you in the truth about God, about Jesus, about the things of God? And so in verse 11, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them... It has not been given. It's important to understand the timing and the term, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. In the future, Jesus will return to the earth and he's going to occupy the throne of his father, David. In what some theologians and Bible teachers call the millennial kingdom. I believe that this reference to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven is a reference to our present earthly kingdom. Now, when Jesus is speaking these words, he's going to speak to his disciples. He's going to unfold several things. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He is going to die on a cross and he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend into heaven. But the mysteries of the kingdom are going to unfold in the absence of our king. Warren Wiersbe writes, and I think he's right, quote, The kingdom of heaven is a mixture of good and evil, of true and false. It's not the church. The church is in the kingdom of heaven, but distinct from it. The kingdom of heaven is equivalent to our term, Christendom. It's made up of all those who profess allegiance to the king, whether in truth or pretense. And so after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus into heaven, groups of people are going to gather. Some of them are going to really believe the truth and really believe the gospel and, and really believe Jesus. And others won't. Others even here, even now. They'll come into the church. They'll sit in the chair. They might sit in the chair next to you or behind you. But they aren't people who really know God or love God or, or believe the Lord. Now, hopefully that's not true of you. Hopefully it's true that you've come and, and you actually believe the Bible and trust the Bible and believe Jesus. But the truth is that we live in a world that's going to be populated by believers and unbelievers and make-believers. I've talked to you about those these are the people who pretend to know God, but they don't really know God. 
in this chapter, the kingdom begins with the sowing of the word during Jesus' earthly ministry. It continues to the present. It will conclude with the coming of Christ. And so the parables give us a sneak peek of coming attractions, God's program on the earth, Satan's opposition. By that, I mean to the gospel, to the truth in this present age. And so the Lord Jesus will impart spiritual understanding to the believer. It's been given to you, the believer, to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So why on earth would God reveal himself to the believer? Because he loves you and he wants you to grow and mature. Does God reveal himself to the unbeliever? I'm going to suggest to you that he does. God will reveal himself to the unbeliever for the purpose so that they'll come to a place of belief. Remember the revelation of God is so that you would understand your sin and the necessity of a savior. The person who draws near to God, the person who seeks intimacy with God through the Lord Jesus Christ receives spiritual understanding. How can a person say, I want to know more about God and I want to know more about Jesus and I want to know more about the Bible. But they refuse friendship with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord and relationship with the Lord. Jesus puts it plainly. It's been given to you to know the mysteries of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Now, when you read that, some of you might wrongly, wickedly, perversely come to the conclusion that God is playing some cosmic game of hide the truth from the person who really wants to know the truth. Is Jesus leaving you with the impression that he's trying to withhold the truth or cover the truth or blind people to the truth? It's God's will, it's God's grace, and it's God's mercy that draws people, compels people. According to the New Testament, it's his will that none perish, but all have everlasting life. God isn't playing a cosmic game of hide the truth then what is happening? Jesus is going to give us an insight into the human heart. And so, for the person who wants to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, what are these mysteries? Oddly enough, it isn't as mysterious as you might think. These are basic Christian beliefs. And so if you ask and answer the question, well, again, what is he talking about? I think that what he's talking about is the incarnation and virgin birth of our Savior in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 23. Up until the time of the appearance of Jesus, it wasn't completely understood. We, we knew that God was going to visit humanity, but how was he going to do that? How was God going to make his appearance and appear to human beings and speak to them? The sinless life of Jesus on the earth, in part which secures 
our ideal and perfect righteousness. The death of Jesus on the cross for sinful man, Matthew 27, 26. We could spend the rest of our lives meditating and rejoicing on the sacrifice of Jesus and the redemption of Jesus and the reconciliation of Jesus, the intercessory ministry of Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, even at this very moment as he's praying for you. All of those were mysteries which have been revealed to you by God's Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Bible and the ministry of the gospel. Things previously unknown, now known. What about the mystery of a human heart that is sinful and dead? What about the mystery of the church, both local and universal? What about the mystery of a future resurrection? All of those were previously unknown, but are now known. What about the future destruction of this present world and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth and a perfect universe as Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 13. We would have no idea about any of this stuff unless God revealed it to us by his word, by his servant. So again, here's where we're going with it. What makes the mysteries of the kingdom the mysteries of the kingdom? The thing that makes the mysteries of the kingdom the mysteries of the kingdom is that these are things that were previously unknown that are now known because of what God has told us through Christ, through his words, through his ministry, through his message. Can the unbeliever hear the truth about these mysteries and even contemplate the truth of these mysteries? Can the unbeliever and the make-believer in their mind say, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to consider the reality of whether or not there's such a thing as a virgin birth. The unbeliever and the make-believer will consider it, but then they'll go, no, virgins don't have children. That's impossible. God became a human being. I don't think so. He died on the cross for your sin. How is that possible? How can one man's sacrifice provide forgiveness and hope and grace and mercy? I don't think so. Do you understand where I'm going with this? The unbeliever and the make-believer will find all of the reasons to believe why none of those things are true. The unbeliever may even embrace the notion that the mysteries might be true. But they never come into a right relationship with God and Christ. They never surrender their lives. They never embrace Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he said, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual 
In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. Jesus promised that a Holy Spirit would come and would speak to you the things that Jesus said. The second reason that Jesus gives the seeker and achiever will receive more. Look what it says in verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What is the Lord saying? The Lord is giving another reason. That the true seeker, the true believer, the one who wants to know the truth, wants to know the truth about God and know the truth about Jesus, they're going to receive the mystery and then they're going to, they're going to believe these mysteries. They're going to receive these mysteries. And what else? They're going to get more. More what? Friendship. Fellowship communion, intimacy, the knowledge of God. Yesterday, I, I went for a walk. I like to walk in the antique gallery. And in the antique gallery, I saw this sign. James, the sign, the early bird. Yeah, I love this. The early bird gets the worm. What in the world? Well, that's exactly what he's talking about. The early bird catches the worm. In what sense? In the natural realm, people are rewarded when they get up early, when they start early, when they stay late. In other words, there's a natural principle that we're all familiar with. The natural principle is we reward energy. We reward effort. We reward results and production. The person who doesn't get up and who doesn't work and who doesn't care is not going to get anything. And so what about the believer who longs and wants to know more and have more and more and more of Jesus? Jesus is giving us the principle, you want more, there's more available. I want to experience more grace, it's available. Knowledge, it's available. Intimacy, it's available. What about the lazy person? What about the complacent person? What about the non-worker? What about the unfaithful? What about the person who says, I don't want to get up and I don't want to read my Bible and I don't want to go to church and I don't want to participate. I don't want to have friendship and fellowship with God. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. They're going to get exactly what they don't want to. I read a simple formula. This is going to be great for you mathematicians out there. Perspective plus initiative equals success. Perspective minus initiative equals lost opportunity. Initiative minus perspective equals nothing. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The source that I cite said, quote, by perspective... It meant the ability to see 
the ability to envision, the ability to dream, the, the ability to understand. It's the ability to see clearly, to envision opportunity, to dream dreams, to look through. It is the person who has the capacity to dream dreams, envision visions, and see what's necessary in order to reach that vision. It's the capacity to measure the importance of the vision and the steps to achieve it in all its relationships very simply it's the person with a vision who can measure its importance and see it in its various parts we use the term vision euphemistically we usually use it to mean the idea of how to get from point a to point b for those of you who aren't going to be able to come to the leaders meeting or the servants meeting this is part of what vision means it means not just the ability to envision what church could be like or relationships could be like, but I'm going to suggest to you vision, according to the Bible, is the ability to see God in the circumstance that you find yourself in. And that's why we go to church in part. I'm trying to impart a vision so that you can see the Lord. You can see the Lord in difficulty and distress when you, when you find yourself in circumstances that aren't, aren't completely wholesome or healthy and you find a way to love God and trust God and believe the Lord during those times. It went on and defined initiative as the ability to act at the right time. Not simply act, but to act at the right time. Therefore, the person has perspective. Think opportunity. Initiative. Think acting at the right time. And so, in this case, I think that time means success. Perspective. Seeing opportunity. Minus initiative. Failing to act at the right time. Equals lost opportunity. You've all heard the passage in the scripture that says, now is the day of salvation. Now's the time to get right with God. Now's the time to recognize what's going on, not just simply in the world in which you're living in, but what's going on in your own heart. Initiative minus perspective equals nothing. In other words, the person simply acts over and over and over again. The picture is a person who begins a project, who begins a task, who begins doing something. Okay, I'll start going to church or I'll start reading my Bible or I'll start being involved in ministry. I'll start, I'll start. I'll, and then they abandon it. They abandon the, the, the women's Bible study. They abandon the men's Bible study. They abandon the student ministries. They abandon whatever it is that, that they thought that they would do. And then they just simply don't do it. They start, they start, they start start, but they wind up never finishing any of the projects that they start. So the person who starts things and never finishes things, they wind up with, that's the, thank you, thank you. He's revealed it to children. Yeah, in other words, I'm not trying to make this hard. This isn't, this isn't something where I'm trying to go, oh, this is a trick question. Gino's going to try and trick me. I'm not trying to trick you.
this person winds up with nothing. Why do they wind up with nothing? Because he or she lacks perspective. Read vision. They don't see things the way God sees them. They don't see things the way the Bible reveals them. And so what does all of this mean? The person who has God's perspective, who shares God's vision about the gospel, about the truth, about life, about love, will achieve and have what God desires. Jesus uses the term, he will have abundance. He will have abundance. So what is it that you really want in your friendship with the Lord and your fellowship with the Lord? This passage, by the way, is a great encouragement. But it's also a dire warning. In what sense? For the person who's diligent, for the person who's faithful, for the person who's steady, for the person who toils, for the person who's hardworking, for the person who's persevering, for the person who's consistent. For the person who both begins a task and then finishes the task, they're going to grow. They're going to be rewarded. The person who's lazy, the person who's idle, the person who's complacent, the person who's inconsistent, the person who's closed-minded, the person who's empty-headed, the person who's empty-hearted, the person who's self-satisfied, the person who's self-indulgent, the person who's selfish, slothful, the late sleeper, they're going to shrink from the struggle and they're going to eventually receive exactly what they work for nothing and that thought is expanded in the very next reason look what it says in the third reason the unbeliever and the make-believer refuse to understand in verses 13 through 15 look what Jesus says therefore in light of what you've just read and what you've just heard therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see. And hearing, they don't hear. Nor do they understand. In this third reason, quickly we see three things. The Lord Jesus speaks in parables. So that the unbeliever and the make-believer will lose what little they have. They'll lose what little they have and more. Note, number one, the unbeliever's rejection isn't a case of hide the truth from the true seeker. The, the, the truth is that the unbeliever's rejection is willful, considered, deliberate. Number two, the unbeliever's rejection was determined in what sense? Prophesied, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. God knew that this was going to happen. Number three, the unbeliever's re rejection is then described. They don't see. They don't hear. They don't understand. Deliberate? Why is this important? Because this isn't just simple ignorance. This isn't misunderstanding. 
This isn't confusion. It makes perfect sense to me that some of you might misunderstand something or might be confused about something or might even be ignorant of something. But there's a remedy for each and every one of those situations. The unbeliever sees and hears and yet refuses to really open up her eyes or her ears. Imagine the mom, the dad, the brother, the sister, the children, you, your friends. You open up your Bible and you say, how can you not see his love and his grace and his mercy? How, how, how can you not get it? How can you not understand it? Look, look what's happening. And they might say, it all sounds too good to be true. And by the way, in the world in which we live, if it's too good to be true, it's usually because it's too good to be true. But does the gospel fall into that category? Is there truly something that is too good to be true? Our response is the gospel comes from a good God. And it is true. There's a kind of willful refusal to understand why. Why would a person deny what's right before their eyes? Why would they deny what they've heard with their own ears? Why would they act with such a profound disregard for the facts, for the evidence, for the revelation? I was reading in an article of a woman who took her daughter's wonderful, tricked-out truck and sold it on Craigslist. And she was called the mean mom. And she was called the mean mom because the mom said, hey, you know what? Driving is a privilege and having this truck is going to be a privilege. And if you treat your brothers and your sisters disrespectfully, you treat your parents disrespectfully, if you dishonor and disobey and do whatever it is that you want, guess what? You're not going to get the truck. And, and, and so they warned her. They gave her an opportunity. And she kept ditching school. And she kept ditching school. And finally, the mother on Craigslist said, and if you go to this particular high school, which my daughter is going, I'll, I'll take $300 off the price of the truck. Because I want it to be in your driveway every single day so that she can see what she missed out on. Oh, you're such a mean mom. See, we laugh because we live in a world where people believe that there really aren't consequences for rebellion and disobedience. Jesus says the hearts of these people have grown dull. In the old King James, it's really descriptive. It says they've waxed gross. The reason why I like it in the old King James, in the original statement, the statement reads, the people's hearts have grown fat. Fat's a politically incorrect word. We can't say the word fat. And so in the new translations, they just get rid of it. So let's use something a little tamer. The people's hearts have grown overweight. <laughs> well, what does that mean? In the ancient culture, it meant pretty much what it meant in the modern culture. 
If you eat and 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 you never exercise, what will happen to you? You'll gain weight. We don't want to say fat. We're trying to be nice here. But then there's the spiritual application. What happens to the person who has a steady diet of selfishness, sensuality, and ignorance? They grow fat in their heart. The unbeliever doesn't want the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to interrupt their lifestyle of selfishness and self-indulgence. Even the answer that Jesus gives is a kind of a parable. The unbeliever's sensuality, the unbeliever's lust, the unbeliever's self-indulgence is motivated by a desire to not have sin forgiven and be reconciled and have a loving relationship with a God who cares about you. They'll say that their reason is because they want to be happy. And I don't blame you for wanting to be happy. It's okay for you to want to be happy. It's not a sin to want to be happy. But it is a sin to want to be happy apart from God and apart from Christ and apart from his love. You see, according to the Bible, true happiness is found when you experience grace and you experience forgiveness and you experience hope. The unbeliever's sensuality is rooted in worldliness and wickedness and a lust for the things of this world, according to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It's not only motivated and rooted in worldliness and wickedness and lust, but also it's rooted in the reality of the deception by Satan who wants to blind us to the truth. And so in verse 14, look what it says. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Jesus says it's prophesied in Isaiah 6. Those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, or maybe it's been a very long time since you've been in Isaiah chapter 6, but that's the great chapter where King Uzziah dies, and King Uzziah is sort of like Ronald Reagan. What do I mean by that? When King Uzziah was the king, everybody was proud to be a Jew. They were proud to, to know God and to love God and to honor God. The things of God became popular. When Ronald Reagan was president, you could be proud to be an American. You didn't have to be ashamed of saying, I love my country. And I love freedom. And I love the Constitution. And I love freedom of religion. And I love freedom of speech. I think that people still love freedom of conscience. And they still love freedom of speech. And so when 
King Uzziah died, the throne of Judah was vacant. And Isaiah looked up because he was turning to God for help and comfort at a time of profound sorrow and mourning. In this time of of void and emptiness and sorrow and mourning, he looks up so that he could have a fresh vision of God. And that caused him to look around to the people that he was living with and the people that he saw. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, which we just quoted. Hearing you will hear and not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. This passage in Isaiah is quoted six times in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 10. Excuse me. Here, Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. Mark chapter 4, verse 12. Luke chapter 8, verse 10. John chapter 12, verse 40. Acts chapter 28, verses 25 through 28. Romans chapter 11, verse 8. Making a total of seven times in the scripture. Why do you suppose this passage is repeated over and over and over again? Does God deliberately blind people? Does God deliberately condemn people? This isn't what the Bible teaches, and this isn't what the passage is saying. What the Holy Spirit is saying is that the Word of God has an effect on the sinner, it hardens and blinds the sinner who will not yield. Who refuses to listen. Who fails to surrender. And I've used the illustration like the sun beating down on the clay or the mud. It will harden the substance. The same sun melts ice and snow. The same sun melts wax. The same sun hardens clay. In John chapter 12 verse 40. They would not believe in John 12 Uh, 37. Therefore they could not believe, verse 39, that they should not believe, verse 40. And so they sealed their own doom. Isaiah, the servant of God, was to tell the people what he saw. Judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And the people wouldn't hear. They wouldn't see. They wouldn't understand. They didn't perceive. What is the Holy Spirit saying? The word of God has an effect on the sinner. It hardens and blinds the sinner who won't yield. Who refuses to listen. Who refuses to surrender. That's what the passage is saying. The person who willfully rejects God. The person who deliberately ignores prophecy, the word of God. The person experiences a kind of judicial blindness and rejection by God. What does God have to say to the person who's willfully blind? What does God have to say to the person who says, 
I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. What does God say to the person who says, I refuse to see what is so obviously clear? Obstinate unbelief, constant sin, continual rejection. Leads to rejection by God. And judgment by God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, again in 26, again in verse 28. Wherefore God has given them up to uncleanness. For this God gave them up to vile affections. For this reason God gave them up to a reprobate mind. And that's the description. How does Jesus describe the reprobate? This is the person whose mind is void of judgment. They harden their hearts. They deafen their ears. They close their eyes. They reject healing. Remember what the prophecy says? They reject healing. I'm hurt. Do you want to be better? I'm empty. Do you want to be full? I'm guilty. Do you want to be forgiven? That's what healing means. They refuse to understand. They fight conversion. They fight the presence of the Holy Spirit. They fight the invitation of love. And now we know. The problem isn't the sower, Jesus. The problem isn't the seed, the gospel. The problem is the soil. People harden their hearts. People close their eyes. People cover their ears. People tell me, sorry, pastor, it's not you. I just stayed up all night. I didn't mean to fall asleep in the service. Sorry, pastor, I wasn't listening. Sorry, pastor. Sorry. I'm not interested in what you have to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They don't see. They don't hear. They don't understand. And the fourth reason, the believer receives the truth and experiences blessing. Look what it says in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. They see. Your ears. They hear. What about the person who says, I want to see. I want to hear. What about the person who wants to see and who wants to hear and who wants to understand the truth? The Bible says that there's a blessing. What do those blessings include? Joy unspeakable, faith unsinkable, love unstoppable. Anything is possible. Did I mention confidence? Did I mention assurance? Hey, have I mentioned healing? Did I say something about privileges? What is it that you get when you say, I want to see, I want to hear? Jesus says in verse 17, for assuredly, this means I'm telling you the truth. I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see. And they didn't see it. And hear what you hear. And they didn't hear it. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, 
I know you're going to find this difficult to believe, but Adam wished he was you. Noah wished he was you. Abraham wished he was you. Isaac and Jacob, they all wished that they were you. Joseph wished that they were you. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel wished that they were you. Daniel wished that he was you. Nehemiah wished that he was you. The New Testament saints are more privileged than the Old Testament believers. Why? The entire book of Hebrews is a hymn to the superiority of the ministry of Jesus. He says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, we see Jesus. We get to see Jesus. We get to hear Jesus. The great desire of the saints in every generation was to know God and to see God without the filters, without the prohibitions, without the restrictions, without the shadows. The prophets and the righteous men, they wanted to see the Messiah. Abram had to wait. Moses had to wait. Isaiah had to wait. Elijah had to wait. But these disciples, they were living at the very crossroads of human crisis and God's revelation in Christ. They would get to witness the Messiah. They would see his miracles with their own eyes. They would hear his speech with their own ears. And this is why we constantly invite you to the women's study, to the men's study, to the student ministries, to all of the gatherings that we have. This is why we want you to participate. Because we want to see Jesus. We want to hear Jesus. I did my little ABCs. I'm going to do it quickly. A, what are the blessings? But blessed are your eyes for they see. Your ears for they hear. Let's see if I can do all. A, acceptance for the unworthy, Ephesians 1.6. B, blessing for the cursed. C, cleansing for the polluted. D, deliverance for the captive. E, enrichment for the poor. F, fullness of pardon for the guilty. G, grace for the prodigal. H, heaven for those who deserve hell. I, inheritance for the beggar. J, joy for the miserable. K, the kiss of welcome for the wanderer. L, life for the dead, John 5, 25. M, might for the feeble, Romans 5, 6. N, nearness for those who are far away, Ephesians 2, 13. O, open doors for the undeserving, John 10, 9. P, peace for the enemy, Colossians 1, 20. Q, quietness for the troubled, Luke 7, 50. R, righteousness for the unrighteous, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. S, salvation for the lost. T, truth for the untrue. U, union for those who were severed in Romans eleven seventeen. 17. V, virtue for the depraved, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. W, welcome for all, Revelation twenty two seventeen. Okay, I have to admit, X was tough. It was a hard one. So I wrote E, extra. For those who have less or inclusion for those who have been X'd out. And what about Y? 
yes. 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 Yes to everyone who will admit that they're a sinner, who will trust Jesus, who will come to him, who will ask for forgiveness. Yes. For those who say, God, will you really love me forever and ever? Okay, you need to help me with Z. Zeal for the things of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And there's more. Blessed are those who want to see and who want to hear. And now, every time you hear your grandchildren sing, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, and T, U, V, W, X, and Y, and Z, you have an opportunity to tell them the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your mercy. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be quite so upset with the people who refuse to see and refuse to hear and refuse to understand. Lord, we pray that instead that we would pray for them and we would love them and we would long for them to see and hear and understand. We pray that we would be patient with them in their unbelief. We, we pray that we would be persistent in their refusals and that we would wait with patience and prayer and hope that our moms and dads, that our brothers and our sisters that our family and our friends would really, truly, gloriously come to know you. And so, Father, again, I pray for that person. They know that their sin is a problem. They desperately want to be forgiven. And they want hope for their life. Lord, I pray that you would extend the invitation that only you can give by the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus, to receive him and believe his words. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.